They tell a story. They tell a story about a fellow who wants to become a monk. And so he joins the monk school, which is called the monastery. And he joins the monastery to become a monk. And there he is learning how to become a monk or trying to learn how to become a monk. And the leaders of the monastery tell him the following. You've joined a monastery where we have a very specific tradition. If you want to become a monk, you have to take a vow of silence. And that means that you say no words, you utter nothing. Every 10 years, you get to say two words. Every 10 years, two words. Wow. Okay. He signs up. I don't know how he says, okay, I'm in, because that's three words, but nonetheless. He says, I'm in. He indicates, I'm in. He thumbs up, whatever. Sends them an emoji, and he's in. Ten years pass, and they come to him in an official uh, delegation, and they say to him, you now have your two words, speak. He thinks for a moment, and he confidently declares, food, bad. All right, 10 years pass. He's doing what he needs to do in the monastery. 10 years pass. They come to him again with a delegation. They say, now you can recite. You can utter two words. 10 years have passed. You have two words. What shall it be? And he says, bed, uncomfortable. Oof. Wow. 10 years pass. 10 more years pass. And they come to him a third time. And they say to him once again, you have an opportunity to share two words. What will it be? And he utters with conviction the following two words, I quit. One of the head monks turns to the other and he says, finally, this guy did nothing but complain. My friends, we, that was the punchline. Just in case you were wondering if that was a punchline, that was the punchline. All right. Nothing but complain. Nothing but complain. So we have here a conversation about Jewish meditation. Jewish meditation shares certainly some similar similarities with other forms of meditation, but it is unique in its own right. Jewish meditation is a highly unique practice that involves the mind and involves the heart. This is something we've established since day one, lesson one. We established that Jewish meditation is about connecting with an idea to the point that you that it resonates within you and you feel something. So let's explore very quickly, very briefly, some of the ideas that we spoke about in, la in the last session, and that will take us directly into today's conversation. So last time, we spoke about spirituality from a Jewish perspective, and we mentioned that every single one of us possesses a just absolutely just super powerful force of spirituality and energy. We have a soul. The soul is godly. It's divine. It's pure. It's otherworldly. The soul, by its very definition, by its very character, is of a different reality. 
doesn't belong here. Remember that book about relationships? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Remember that one? Remember the author, John Gray or something? Maybe I'm making up his name, which is also okay. Anyway, so yeah, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yeah, otherworldly. But according to Jewish wisdom, Jewish spirituality, forget the body. The soul is from another planet. The soul is otherworldly. The soul is of a different, different sort altogether. We said last week that the soul is likened to fire, the fire that doesn't want to be here. Fire doesn't want to be here. The biggest proof is put fire somewhere, and before long, it's gone. It undoes itself. It burns itself out by destroying anything that you put in its way. It gets rid of so that it can be undone. Fire wants to unravel the very the, the very essence of its being. Not essence. It wants to unravel the very um, constituency of its being. It wants to be undone. Everything else wants to be. The flame wants to not be. And the soul is like a flame. The soul doesn't want to be. Here, it wants to be part of the source. So each of us has this incredible just spirituality, spiritual drive inside of us. Problem is, and we all know this firsthand knowledge, problem is it's not the only game in town, right? It's not the only movie playing in the theater, as they say nowhere, right? You got, other, you got another, uh, an, another, another voice, the voice of the body, the voice of the animal soul. You have another consciousness that's a lower consciousness that says, oh, so you're talking about like uh, transcending and you know, purpose and meaning and higher living. Honestly, I could use a steak and a beer right now. I mean, that's the body. The body is very mundane. The body is very, we say in Yiddish, grub. It's very coarse, unrefined. So how do we deal? How do we get to, how do we tap into our spirituality if we got this body in the way? Okay, so we had two paths. Last week, lesson two, we described two paths of Jewish meditation. Hit bodidut, and hit boninut. And I, trust me, I'm totally aware of the fact that they sound exactly the same, but they're different. Hit bodidut means seclusion. It means separating from oneself. It means, sorry, separating from the mundane, separating from materialism, separating from the physicality, isolating oneself, going to a place of calm and quiet, to quiet the noise, to allow us to hear the voice of the soul. In other words, if we picture the soul, and obviously it's not as simple as this, but if we picture the soul as this little voice inside of us, this pure voice, divine voice inside of us, and we picture the body as this big, gruff entity that's covering up the sound of the soul, okay, so here's hit hit is let's, uh, let's clear away the noise. Let's clear away the distractions so that we can uncover the beauty inside. That's method one. And primarily, it, it's, it, it's, it, it constitutes going to a quiet place, clearing the mind, and getting away from distractions. Okay. That's method one. Method two, hit boninut. Hit boninut is not clearing away the noise, per se. It's hyper-focus on the spiritual. It's focusing on the soul. It's focusing on the spirituality. So it's less about clearing the noise, and it's more about focusing on what you want to focus on. I'll give you an example. I didn't say this example last week, but I was thinking about it. And I want to share with you this little analogy. Imagine you are in a crowded, noisy space. You're in a crowded, noisy space. And you want to listen to some music. 
Well, thank God it's 2022. And nowadays, you don't have to hire a band. Can you imagine back in the day, if you want to listen to music, you probably had to hire a musician. Great, Miss Sugar, right? You had to hire a music. How else? How is it? You want to listen to music? Go hire a violinist. Knock yourself out. Today, you don't need to hire a violinist. You don't need to hire a guitarist. You don't need to, to strike up the band. All you do is you pull out your phone, pull out an MP3 player. I would say an iPod, but I don't think they make them anymore. I know you pull out a, a you know, a, a, some sort of device. You pop in some headphones over the ear, earbuds, AirPods, whatever your flavor is, right? Pop them in, boom, you got music. It's amazing. But I told you before, you're in a very crowded place. It's very noisy. So now what are you going to do? Right. You have the music on, but you can't hear it because there's too much, too much noise. Two options. Two options. Option number one, remove yourself to a quiet place. Get away from the noise. Seclude yourself. Get away from the noise and you can hear the music. That's what we call hit bodidut. Seclusion. Get away from the noise. You'll hear the music. Option number two, amplify the music that you want to hear. Crank up the volume. This is not medical advice. I am not giving you medical advice for the long-term health of your ears. Do not mistake my analogy for actual health guidance. I'm just telling you a second approach. Approach number one, get out of the noise. Approach number two, amplify the music that you want to hear. Crank up the volume to 100 so that you can hear it despite the noise. That is Hitponanut. Hitponanut focuses less on what you want to get rid of and more on what you want. So last week, at the end of the class, we didn't have a lot of time, but what we did last week was we began developing a Hitboninut meditation, the latter form, form number two of meditation, where, we're, where, where we take a concept and understand it and focus on it, turn it over and around in our minds, concentrate on it, connect with it, visualize it, to the point that we feel it, amplify the sound, amplify the music to the point that you're rock and rolling to the beat of that music. That's the goal of Hit Bonanot is amplifying an idea in your mind, hyper-focused, hyper-connected until you begin to feel it. And so the specific idea that we started developing last week was the very, the very premise that we started the class with which was that we have a soul inside. Inside of all of us is a soul, a divine, pure, divine, higher consciousness soul. And then we took it a step further and we said, just like you and I have a soul inside, and that soul is the real life force of our being because we know what a body without a soul looks like, right? We've all seen what a body without a soul looks like. It's not a live body. So, we know that the body on its own is not alive. The body is just a body. A live body means that the body now has a life force, which we're calling soul. Just like it exists within a person, the same is true within the larger, the macrocosm, the universe. The universe has both body and soul. The body of the universe is the stuff, the substance, the matter of the universe, the physical shell of the universe. And its soul is the life force that pulsates, that pulses through the universe. The fact that the universe moves and, it, and it, it's, it's, there's a symphony, there's movement, there's orchestration, there's animation. 
All of that is due to the divine life force, the divine energy, the cosmic soul that powers the universe. And that's kind of where we ended off last week. We said, just like, the, just like a human being has body and soul, so too does the universe have body and soul. And just like within the human being, the most essential factor is the soul. Without a soul, you got nothing going on. You need a soul to be alive, so to the universe. Without a soul, it's garnished. It's nothing. You need a soul for it to be alive. And we said last week, as we concluded, that this helps us focus on priorities. Knowing this helps us focus a little bit more on what's really important, the soul of things, and less on the stuff that's less important, like the body of things. Okay, so that's, that's what we discussed last week. Today, we're going to continue. And the reason why I spent some time on, on this is because of what I'm about to say. Because today, we're going to continue to develop this idea and this meditation. We so far laid the groundwork for the idea. I'm going to call that level one. We're going to add on three more floors to this building, to this idea. By the way, hit boninut. This is text one. We're going to do it outside. Hit boninut. Related to the word bina, which means to understand. But you know what bina also sounds like? Bone. You know what bone means? Bone means to build. To build. Okay. <laughs> to build. Yeah, exactly. So, Rosita, you're keeping me honest. You're making sure that uh, I'm saying you fact check. To make sure that you're not. <laughs> right? So, no, but bone means to build. Exactly. It means to build. And so what we do with meditation, with it bone is we don't just understand something. We actually keep on building the idea higher and higher, deeper and deeper, adding on layers to an idea to the point that it builds itself out. It's like a recipe. Yeah, sure, you can, I don't know, you can make salmon and throw a little like uh, a little salt on a little pepper on it. But oh my gosh, you want to build out layers. And I think it's called umami. You want to get all that stuff going on. Now, I'm not saying I know how to do that. I'm just saying conceptually, this is what you want done. Layers and layers, you want to scaffold this thing. You want to build out a second floor and a third floor and a fourth floor. This is what we do today. We started off with a meditation last week. Today, we add on three floors, higher and higher or deeper and deeper, however you want to conceive of it. It's the same idea. We're going to go further with this idea. What we talk about today, I'm telling you now, is going to be huge. Each and every one of these three ideas is absolutely mind-blowing, mind-expanding, life-changing. Each are going to come with a whole suite of benefits. What I mean by benefits, based on the meditation and this understanding and this awareness, your life will improve. Every step along the way, these are things that can and hopefully will improve your life in a very practical way. Because again, the goal of Jewish meditation is not just to know things to change something about us. That's Hidbonanut meditation. And that's transformative. My friends, today's class takes place in three acts. Act number one, it's alive. I said that wrong. Act one, it's alive. Act two, by design. And act three, you matter. Buckle up. We're not going to be going the speed limit in this class. But don't worry, we're not on the road. No one's going to pull us over. We're good. My friends, buckle up. It's about to get crazy. All right. We pick it up where we left off last week. The universe has a soul, just like you and I, just like we have a soul. A body without a soul is lifeless. It's inanimate. 
Same is true of the universe. But, and here's where we begin to add on new ideas. The cosmic soul is so much more than just simply a battery pack. I don't know about you, but in my house, on occasion, we need batteries. It's one of those things that it's like batteries. In 2022, we're still using batteries. We're still using batteries. Um, anyway, the point is that the soul of the universe is not simply a battery pack. To understand how it's different than a battery pack, let's take a look at how King David describes the soul as explained by the Midrash. We are going to begin with text number two. This lesson begins, we are, going, we are going to begin this lesson with text number two on page 82 in your books. At this point, I, I think that all of you received the book. If you have not received the book, please email me or message me after the class or during the class, I'll, I'll find it after the class and let me know so we can fix that. Um, I'm going to share my screen just so we have it up on the screen. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a little bit easier, at least for me to read it this way or to look at it. Okay, let's begin. Um, <clears throat> text number two. Rosita, do you mind uh, reading text number two? I'm going to make it bigger. Don't forget to unmute. There you go. Okay. Okay. King David exclaimed, my soul blesses God. Did he feel the need to emphasize that it was his soul that praised God? He told himself, just as the soul feels the body, so does God feel the universe. So King David concluded, let the soul, which poses, did you hear me? Yeah, 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 you're good. Okay, all right, <laughs> thank you. Okay, am I losing connection? No, 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 you're good, you're good. So, okay. so, so that's what King David says, the soul that possesses the qualities of God should praise him. Good. So what we have here is a midrash, that explains a verse in Psalms, right? He says, Baruchi nafshi et Hashem. My soul blesses God. Why soul? Because just like the soul fills the body, so too, so God fills the universe. So there's a connection between soul and God. Okay, this is the connection that we've been talking about. But I want to ask a specific question. And this is an open-ended question. This is for everybody. What is the meaning of this line right here? Just as the soul fills the body, so does God fill the universe. What does it mean that the soul fills the body? What does it mean that it fills the body? And what does it mean that God fills the universe? Um, this, again, is an open question. Anybody jump in? Everyone jump in if you'd like and weigh in on this. There's no place. Oh, go ahead, Adele. Yeah, Dina Michael, jump in. There's no place where God is not. Good. Excellent. And we are in every place that God is, and God is in every place that we are. Excellent. Beautiful. What else? Good. The soul is what makes us alive and Hashem is what makes the universe alive. Excellent. Good. Good. What else? All good ideas. Again, question is, what is the significance of the phrase, the soul fills the body, God fills the universe? What's the, what do you, what do you take from that? There's no wrong answer. What do you, what does that feel like to you? The Shema of God. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the God, Lord is one. Okay, good, one. good. What else? The soul is a part, has, has Hashem within it. We have a part of Hashem. Okay. He fills our soul. 
Okay, good, good, good. So we have this, uh, this, this divine, divine presence. Excellent. What else? And we're supposed to uh, emulate God. So in this way, we emulate God. It's sort of if God fills the universe. Right. We're paralleling. We're paralleling yeah, that reality. Yeah. That yeah. dynamic. Good. Alana, do you want to jump in? I think I saw. Yeah, I was going to say the soul is like a microcosm of God. Good. Good. So microcosm. We have the microcosm. The microcosm. Good. I, I want to, yeah, Ed. Oh, I was just going to say it's the unseen that fills in the physical. Good, 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 good. So we have an unseen reality, unseen force. Good, excellent. Okay, so I, I, I want to add on, or I think, I think the idea has been said, but I want to kind of uh, repackage the idea a little bit. One of the ways to understand the big idea of this Midrashic teaching is to clear up that it clears up a misconception about the soul. The soul is not simply a static form of energy, like, for example, electricity. Rather, the soul is dynamic. And I need to explain what I mean by static and dynamic, and it may not mean what it typically means, but you'll get in a sense, sorry, in a second, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. This is a game-changing idea, so let me explain. You see, when you plug in a refrigerator, to the, take a refrigerator, take the plug, put it, you know, plug it into the outlet, the wall outlet, and it begins humming and it begins cooling. So what happens is the electricity is now powering the refrigerator, but the electricity doesn't pervade every square inch of the fridge. Are you with me on this? It's not like the electricity flows through every single corner of the refrigerator and pulses it with life. That's not what happens when you plug the refrigerator into the wall outlet. If that would happen, that would be a little bit weird, a little bit bonkers. If your refrigerator begins completely becoming alive on that level, you, got, you may want to get that checked out. What happens when you plug in the fridge is simply this. It powers the compressor, which sets up a chain reaction that ultimately cools the inside of the refrigerator and freezer and cools off the food inside. And I may not be getting the science right or the technology right, and that's okay for me. I feel okay not getting it exactly right. But here's the point. The electricity powers one item, which then sets off the reaction and gets what needs to happen to happen. But the soul is very different, and this is where it comes important. Class is not about fridge. It's about souls. The soul is very different. It doesn't just power the body like uh, the electricity to the refrigerator. The soul fills the body. That's what the measure says. We read it inside. The soul fills, F-I-L-L-S. It fills the body. It doesn't just power the body. It's not a battery pack. You put a battery in a watch, it makes the, the thing turn. When I say thing, you know, the, the hands, right? It makes, the, it makes it go. It doesn't infuse the whole thing with life. It's not what happens. It doesn't make the glass alive. It doesn't make the metal or the leather strap alive. It just powers one thing. But that's not how the soul works. The soul doesn't just power you know, the brain or the heart. That's not how the soul works. The soul fills the entire body. Fills the entire body. You know what that means? That there's nowhere... The soul doesn't go. Somebody said this. There's no space within the human body 
that the soul does not, does not pervade. It goes everywhere. It's all pervasive. It's all filling. It's the ultimate force that fills and pervades. The soul flows to every square inch of the body, giving it its shape, definition, movement, function, animation. The soul powers the eye to see, the ears to hear, the nose to smell, the mouth to taste, the hands to feel, and the feet and legs to walk and everything in between. The soul is what gives every, every part of the body its function, its existence, its animation, its reality. It's not just a static battery pack. It's a highly detailed, highly specific, creative flow of energy. And then the Medrash tells us the next thing. And we read it inside before. Just as the soul fills the body, so does the divine life force of creation fill the universe. In other words, what the big idea of this Medrash is that the same thing exists in the macrocosm. On a cosmic level, on a universal level, the cosmic soul of the universe operates in the very same way. It's not simply a battery pack that powers the universe. It's not like the soul of creation is a battery pack or a plug that then, you know, gets things rolling and then things go on their own. That's not how it works. The soul of existence courses and flows through the entire fabric every millimeter and every atom of the universe, shaping it and infusing it with life. So let's study. And I hope you're with me on the same page here. We're not just studying ideas. This is all part of Hitbonunut. This is all part of the meditation. Everything that we're going to do tonight, everything that we're talking about or reading inside, it's all about feeding our minds so that we can focus on these ideas. We're amplifying the volume. Going back to my example before, we're in a crowded room. There's a lot of noise. The world is a crazy place, right? Well, you may be in your home. It's a little bit quieter, but it, in general, it's a crazy world. And whatever, it's a busy world. Let's, let's, let's not use that. The, 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 the crazy. It's a busy world. Very distracting. One way is cut out the distractions, but we're amplifying. We're amplifying the music. Everything that we're studying is all about thinking about. I want you to think about these ideas. You're going to hear me repeat ideas. And the, the point is, we're, going to, we're, we're mirroring. We're doing the work. We're doing the work as we talk about the work. We're doing the meditation as we're talking about the meditation. This is all about turning over ideas in our mind, visualizing it, conceptualizing it, connecting with it. Let's do, let's do text number three. I'm going to share my screen. You have the books. Hopefully you have the books in front of you. Text number three, this is page, what are we now? Uh, 83, um, exposing the divine. Okay, let's ask, let's see, let's see. Let's ask Dr. Maxi, if you don't mind, please read text number three. A highly detailed self-awareness of the manner in which our own soul operates within our body will allow us to appreciate that the divine is manifest within every detail of the universe and that each detail exists and is sustained through divine energy. This parallel is expressed in the teaching, just as the soul fills the body, so does Hashem fill the world. Midrash Tehillim. 10, 103, 3, and is expressed in the verse, 
from my flesh I can perceive the divine, Job 19.26. Every sensation and experience of the body, even the most insignificant, is an active expression of the soul. Similarly, even the smallest detail or phenomenon within the universe is actively directed by Hashem. When we develop this awareness, we sense not only the divine providence in everything, but we see divinity clearly wherever we turn. We can literally see the divine exposed. Thank you. This is so powerful. This text, and this text, by the way, comes from Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak in the previous, the previous Chabad Lubavitch Rebbe, passed away in 1950. Um, you can see his bio there on the side. The previous Rebbe explains this idea of, the, of God filling the world, right? Based on the idea that the soul fills the body. And this is what I was saying before, right? Everything, every part of the body is influenced, is, is driven, is powered by the soul. The soul is, is, is there in every part of the body. The same thing is true with the world. Everything, even the smallest detail or phenomenon, is actually directed by God. That means... That means that when we look at the world, what do we see? This is a this is a this is a groundbreaking. It's it's a it's a it's a game changing idea, absolutely game changing idea. When we look at the world, what do we see? Typically, we see stuff. We see stuff, things, people. We see nouns, people, places, and things. Yeah. World full of nouns, a universe full of nouns everywhere. Nouns as far as the, I got some adjectives also for those nouns, but typically nouns, right? Typically nouns. That's what we see. And with this, with this idea, with this meditation, if we really understand, if we really hone on, if we really focus on the fact, just like the soul fills the body, I'm doing some Talmudic uh, little inflection here. Bear with me. Just like the soul fills the body, so does God fill the universe. What does that mean? The soul fills every inch of the body. God fills every inch of the universe. It's not like a battery pack that just powers, but everything is its own thing. No, 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 no. Everything is driven. Everything is created by the creator by this divine force. That means that wherever you go, whatever you look at, this is the big idea. Everything that we look at is an expression, an expression of the source. It's not just powered by the source. That was last week. That was so last week. It's not just that everything is powered by the source. Everything is an expression of the source. Now, hold on. I'm not suggesting that the table in front of me or you is God. Nope, I didn't say that. But what I did say is that the table is an expression of God. It's not God. That would be going too far, but it's an expression of God because it is being powered by a divine life force without which it doesn't exist. It's being powered by a divine cosmic soul that makes it what it is. And thus, everything in existence is ultimately, not even ultimately, <coughs> ultimately is too much of a loaded term. Everything that exists is an expression of God. It's unbelievable. Um, can I say something for a minute? Yeah, for Ray, sure. Ray Bellman last week said, uh, Ain't old movado. Everything yes. is a shem. So 
that's what it made me think of. Everything is a shem. Nothing. Everything. Is yes. Eino mavado. Every single thing is an expression of Hashem. Is an expression of the divine. Nothing is without the divine. Everything is an expression. And the key word from that midrash, midrash tilim, is that that Hash God fills the universe like the soul fills the body. Fills not just powers, but fills everything. There's no, you can't separate. It's inseparable from the source. Everything is an expression of God. Yeah, Moshe. Then, then wouldn't it be reasonable? Am I coming through? Okay. Then wouldn't it be reasonable to say that God is in the table, but the table is not the entirety of God? Yes. But God uh, is still in the table. I'm looking at the table. I'm seeing abyssal of God. Yes. No? Yeah, 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 yeah. That it's yes, you could okay. say that. Now we have to be careful for those that are not uh, not on the same. You know, someone who's not primed in this meditation. You say that Jews and believes that God is in a table. It'll be like, what you talking about? Like that sounds a little bit radical. But you'll warm them up with a little meditation, a little bit of you know lessons one, two, and three of this course. Now you're ready to go. Now you understand the table, the table uh, construct. But yes, what you're saying is accurate. Could be accurate, um, but it requires again a little bit of uh, of warming up. So this is the big idea, is that this, this, this divine life force flows within every particle of existence. Everything is not just coming from God, it's an expression of God. Which means the following. Next step. The diversity of the universe where does it originate from? It results from the diverse permutations of the flow of divine energy. In other words, what determines whether a thing is a rock or a plant or an animal or a human being or anything in between? What determines whether the plant itself is red or green or blue? Are plants blue? I don't even know, but let's say theoretically, right? What determines whether something is heavy or light? What makes that determination? It's the divine flow, the divine life force that flows, the soul, the cosmic soul that flows into it. It's not just a battery pack. It's, it's energy. It's what makes it what it is. Here's another teaching from the same source, from the previous Rebbe, speaking about the diversity of nature, reflecting the diversity of the divine energy, the divine flow that flows into every nook and cranny of existence. Um, let's uh, put this put this on the screen. This is text number four. The English appears on page should be 85-ish. Let's see if I'm right. I am right. 85. And let's ask um, Bill. Bill Dine, are you up to reading? Hold on, please unmute. Let's see if you got it. I'm going to ask you to unmute. You just uh, should follow that prompt. Yeah, yeah, I got it. You got it. Okay. Uh, page 85. Yeah. Where it uh, says uh, the entirety of creation. The entirety of creation divides into four kingdoms, mineral, mineral, vegetable, animal, and human. Each of these is subdivided into myriads of specific species. If we examine the world of plants, for example, we encounter a broad spectrum of vegetation such as trees, crops, vegetables, grass, and herbs, each category of which is further divided into multiple species. There is an astonishing variety of trees and each kind is unique and distinguished from all other trees. 
There's tremendous diversity of plants and herbs. And again, each kind offers a unique nutritional value. Some are beneficial while others are poisonous and they each carry a unique design and set of properties. Furthermore, within each of these subspecies, there are countless individual units, each of which is similarly unique. Now, each individual unit possesses a unique life force, divine energy that is tailored for it. That life force is what we call its soul. The spiritual entity that animates it causes it to grow and guides everything that happens to it from the moment it sprouts from the earth until its last moment when it is plucked. Even the plant's final fate is, is within the jurisdiction of a specific divine providence that determines whether the plant will be harvested for an overt purpose such as animal fodder, trampled underfoot in an apparently aimless manner or wither in due course and disintegrate entirely. Such a matter is the result of a specific decision and calculation of divine providence. Everything in this world has a unique divine energy that is its life and guide. Each blade of grass is unique. It may appear identical to another blade, but closer examination reveals specific features that set a specific blade apart from every other blade of grass in the universe. This distinction is the result of the specific divine energy that God invests into this blade. It is, it is an entirely individualized divine manifestation. Thank you very much. That was a long reading. Thank you very much for reading that, Bill. Um, I, and I want to just reflect on this reading because it's pretty powerful. So I want to kind of, I'm not going to go through point by point, but just kind of in summary in my own words. Here's a little scientific, uh, um, I don't know if it's a fact, but, but what, what we think we know in science is that there are approximately 8.7 million different species on planet Earth, about 8.7 million. Now, most, the vast majority of which we have not yet fully figured out or not, or not even yet uh, like mapped out. But we, we have a sense that there's upwards of 9 million different types of, uh, of forms of life on this planet. Now, within each species, there are countless individual permutations of that species. And within each permutation, there are various individual units that are very individual. And the point is that the magnitude of diversity within creation is absolutely dizzying. It's, it's, it's dizzying, it's dazzling, it's magnificent, it's, it's astonishing, it's, awe, it's, it's awesome. It's, the amount of things, diversity of things is incredible. And all of this, all of this in the understanding of Jewish spiritual teaching and in, the, in this process, Jewish meditation, the understanding of, of it within Judaism is that all of the diversity within creation results from the divine energy flowing into every single being in an absolutely individualized way down to every single blade of grass as we just read every blade of grass not just types of grass there's kentucky blue i think i might be out after one there's kentucky bluegrass and that's all i know whatever i'm sure there's other forms i know there are other forms there's there's grass right many forms of grass within each type of species of grass right within so kentucky bluegrass great i'm sure there's different types i'm sure i don't know i would imagine Within each type, within each lawn, there's more than one blade of grass. If you got one blade of grass in a lawn, you, you probably got to start again. You probably did something wrong, right? I'm not blaming. I'm just saying you just got to, something else has to happen. You have 
hundreds, thousands, who knows how many, what the count depends on how big the yard is, blades of grass. And what does Jewish spiritual wisdom teach? That every single blade of grass has its own individualized, individuated, divine life force that's making it grow. There's no general, it's not a battery pack. It's not a battery pack. Battery packs are too generalized, amorphous. It's like battery pack. You know, battery's not included. That's not what this is. This is the divine energy filling every single centimeter, millimeter, atom, molecule, molecule, atom of creation. It's the divine life force filling everything so specifically that it makes this alive as an animal, this alive as a plant, this alive as this type of grass, this alive as that type of grass, this alive as this specific, specific individualized blade of grass down to the very last detail. This is mind-blowing stuff. So this is the concept. This is the big idea. Big idea number one. Big idea is God is the soul of the universe and not just in a static general way, but in a highly dynamic and highly individualized manner. And that gives rise to everything that we see. Everything around you right now and outside of your immediate space, everything is being powered by a divine life force that allows it to be. It has its structure. It has its being. It has its purpose. It has its identity. Everything is based on a spiritual soul, a spiritual force. So now here's where the meditation comes in. Here's where the hit boninut comes in. Here's what we're thinking about. Let's think about what this means. That means, and, and, and the magnitude of this should become clear soon. This means that right around me and you, in this very moment, right around all of us, in this very setting that you and I find ourselves in right now, everything around us is buzzing with divine energy. Look around, look around your space, look around your space. It looks, looks dead, right? It looks just, just looks like stuff. But, but think about this. Think about how the divine life force, the cosmic energy fills all of creation, not just the battery pack. It fills every atom of existence. And that means that everything around your space is buzzing with divine energy. It's alive. Cue up the uh, creepy Frankenstein call. It's alive. It's, al it's everything around you is alive. Around me is alive. And everything around you and I is expressing in its own way, very individualized way, the divine life force that is designing it and empowering it right now. So imagine if I did this. Imagine if I, imagine if you did this. Imagine if we did this. And we would start looking around. We would begin to see the world itself in a brand new light. Cue up the Disney musical or whatever it is, A Whole New World. I am not going to try that one. A whole new world. I just did. All right. So Matt, the whole world looks different. The whole thing is different. Nothing's the same. Before you saw a table, I'm just looking around this space, right? The synagogue space. I see tables. I see chairs. I see couches. We have couches. Very, very comfortable. Um, I see a wall with the with the memorial board. I see I see trees that are okay. Maybe not. They don't. They they haven't grown in a while. But no one's either watered them. So I'm just saying maybe it's it's a correlation there. No, I'm kidding. These are fake trees. So I, but they're still alive. They still exist. There's still a battery. Not a battery pack. There's still a divine soul that's allowing it to exist. And enabling it to exist, which means that if I look around and I'm paying attention to this because I meditated on this and it became real to me in my head and in my heart, 
when I look around, you know what I see? I don't see a world. I see God. I see God in everything around me. I see the divine. And you know what? Let's go back to my earlier analogy. You know what, we, you know what I perceive? I hear the music. I hear the music. Not only in my own soul, but of the soul of the universe in everything that I look at. Spoiler alert. Not really a spoiler, but like parenthetically, and I don't want anyone to get confused by this. So I hesitate to say it, but you know me, if, I already, if I'm already this far, we're going to plug on forward. I hesitate to say this, but understand the difference that emerges right now between hit bodedut and hit bonenut. Understand. Hit bodedut is, this is noisy. I got to get rid of it. Hit bonenut ultimately comes to a place that this noise is also part of the divine orchestra. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. Hitbodidut says, this is too noisy. This is a distraction. And the ultimate payoff of Hitboninut is the distraction. The distraction is also godly. You saw what happened there? You saw what happened there? Turns out the distra- all the stuff, it's not stuff. It's also divine. This is tuning in not only to the what's inside underneath the noise, but it's tuning in to the noise itself because it's not just noise. Listen to that noise. I hear music. You may hear Manhattan honking as soon as the light turns green within nanoseconds. Somebody is honking their horn. That's, that's New York. You love New York. That's New York. You may hear honking. But the perceptive ear hears noise, divine noise. Sorry, divine music, not noise. Divine music. Everything that exists, everything that exists is power. God fills the universe, fills every single space. There's nothing outside of it. There's nothing other than God's power, God's energy, which means, which means this too is divine, which means this too is powered by the divine, at least if you want to say it that way, a little bit more carefully. So that means this too expresses God. When I look around, I see the divine. This is where I behold the symphony, the divine symphony of creation. The world begins to pop. Colors begin to pop. Sounds are louder. Uh, um, uh, colors are brighter. Every life is richer when I look at the world with these 3D glasses. It's kind of like the difference between black and white TV and color. It's like, oh, that exists. We sometimes think of like people that lived once upon a time that they probably, they probably lived in black and white. Yeah, they didn't. It's just that we've always seen those worlds in black and white. We can't imagine. We can't imagine that back in the shtetl, they had a color. Color. The color of mud, at least. But there was color. There was something called sepia. Whatever it is, there was color. Yeah. So, so what's the point? The point is that there is a divine energy, a divine soul that fills everything. And when we see that, when we think about that, when we know that, when we, and then we look at the world, it begins to pop. There is the most magnificent parable. I love this. Love this. Taught by the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. I want to share this with you. This is going to be text number, not five, text number six. Text number six. I want to read this. It comes from Dego Machna Ephraim who was a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, So he quoted his grandfather. The following parable I heard from my master, my grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov of blessed memory. By the way, not to be confused with the band, the Baal Shem Tones. Speaking of music. 
All right, Baal Shem Tov. For those of you uh, familiar, there is a, an actual, I don't know if it's still around, but there was an Atlanta band. Maybe there still is called the Baal Shem Tovs. Okay, there was once a talented musician that played beautiful, sweet music. All who heard it were mesmerized by the sweet, pleasurable, blissful sounds. They could not hold themselves back from dancing to the rafters in sheer ecstasy. The closer the people drew to the source of music, the more entranced they became and the more ecstatic they're dancing. Just then, a deaf individual came across the scene. Not noticing the musician, he simply observed people dancing wildly and regarded them as crazy. What on earth could make people so ridiculously joyful? All of a sudden, he muttered to himself. Now, if he were intelligent, wise, and knowledgeable, he would deduce that they must be dancing to a delightful melody. In fact, contemplating the depth of pleasure they must be experiencing, judging by their response, he would have been moved to join them in delightful dance. The analogy, it's obvious. And, and, and here's, he said it's obvious, but let me explain a little bit. There's music everywhere. There's music because the musician, be, because the, the, let me try this, because the conductor, yeah, is leading the symphony, this symphony called life, called the universe, called existence. There's music around us. The question is, do we hear it? Are we dancing? Are we dancing? Do we hear it? The goal, one of the goals of Hitbona Note Meditation, the, the journey that we've taken over the last, you know, the end of last, of, of last week's class and the beginning of this week's class thus far, the first uh, 45 minutes or so of this class, it's all about understanding and getting to know and appreciate and experience the music, the divine music within creation, the divine symphony that is this thing called life. And when we perceive it, we won't, we won't be able to hold ourselves back from dancing with sheer ecstasy and joy and pleasure by being involved, by being immersed in this, in this divine symphony. You know it's kind of like? maybe a modern version of the analogy. It's like a silent disco. Is that a thing? I think it's a thing. Silent disco. It's like, maybe not disco, rave, silent rave. I don't know, something, silent something. Where it basically, there's no music being played like loud. You put on a headphone, headphones, right? And then you, and the music being pumped in and everyone's dancing. Everyone's dancing with headphones on. Take off the headphones. Walk in without headphones. You're like, Y'all are crazy, right? The truth is, even parents to children, even if they hear the music, they still say, y'all are crazy. You call this music, said every parent to every child ever, right? That's the standard line. We had music. You call this music? Ah, forget about it. So that aside, imagine you walk into the silent uh, disco rave, whatever, whatever, whatever the kids call it, right? And, and, and you don't have the headphones. So you see everyone dancing and you're like, oh, I guess something's going on, but I don't really know what's going on. Put on the headphones. You can hear the music's right here. You just have to tune in, tune into the music. It's like the radio waves, the radio waves, radio waves. They're right here. Just got to tune into it. Hit the bone and no meditation allows us to tune in and amplify the music so that we can move to the beat. That's the idea. Here. It's about dancing to the music. It's about recognizing that this is all the, a divine symphony, this world, this universe. It's beautiful. It's a divine symphony. So the more we think about this, the more we think about the fact that God is the divine life force is pervading all of existence, that it's filling all of existence, the more we contemplate this, the more we connect with this idea, the more we visualize this idea, the more we sense and perceive the idea, 
that we're bathed in divine energy all around us. It's in us. It's around us. That brings us to a place where we feel intimately close to God constantly. And this comes with a huge payoff. I told you in the introduction, we have three steps, three acts. We're still in act one. Three acts. The other ones are a little bit shorter. Three acts. And with every act, with every step of every type, every time we build, we're bonet, this hit bonenut. Every time we build and, and add on to this meditation, to this idea, there are going to be powerful takeaways. Take a look at this takeaway. Imagine, or take a listen, take a look, whatever. Listen to this. Imagine if you felt, if you were able in the privacy of your own space, if when you looked around, your room or out the window or you walked outside if you if you if when you looked around you sensed you saw you felt god you know what would be one of the outcomes of that you would never feel alone you would never feel alone you know feeling alone is one of the most difficult challenges you would never feel alone if when you looked around you saw hashem you saw god you would feel connected, feel bathed. You would be, feel like you're basking in divine, in the divine presence. You would feel connected. You and I would feel connected and never alone. And this is a game changer. This is a game changer on so many levels. Once again, let's turn to the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. Let's take a look at what he says in text number seven. Okay, let's ask... Um, Let's ask, hold on, Susan, Susan Crone, if you don't mind, to please unmute, if you will, and read text number seven. This is page 89. Meditate on the fact that the divine presence fills the entire universe and that God's intimate presence is with you constantly. This will allow you to be constantly joyful, realizing and believing with perfect faith the divine presence is with you, protecting you. Realize that you are gazing at the divine and that God is gazing at you. God can do as he pleases and is the source of all the goodness and suffering in the world for his divinity and sustaining force is within each item of existence. And th thank you. And there at the end, he adds another wrinkle, which honestly, I think is going to pull us too far off. So I don't, I don't want to really get into it. But it's, the point is that God is not only in the good stuff, but also in the challenging stuff. God is everywhere. Yeah, everything yeah. that we encounter, everything that we meet, right? Whether it's the mm -hmm. good stuff or what we perceive as the not so good stuff. This, it's the same truth. And that truth is, it's, it's an expression of God. It's an expression of God right here, right now. It is an expression of the divine. And so when I look around, I don't feel lonely. I don't feel disconnected. I feel connected. I feel intimately connected because what I have right here is a divine space. Okay. So that is, that is um, act one. All of this is born. Yes. Does somebody want to add something? One of my favorite lines in the sitter is uh, seek his presence continuously. Oh, yeah. Seek his yeah. presence continuously. And I, that's pretty much the same thing. And I like that very much. I like this. Beautiful. It's powerful. Seek his presence constantly. And the, the idea here tonight is 
If you look and you know how to look, not know how to look, it's not a trick. If you are, if we do the work and we meditate on God's all pervasiveness, then we'll see, then we'll find God everywhere. Not only will we seek it and look for it, but we'll actually find it. That's the goal. And, uh, and like I said, it's, it is attainable. I'll tell you a story. Um, some of you may be familiar with Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, who passed away maybe about a year ago or so. Rabbi Steinsaltz was a, was a tremendous scholar, a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, just an absolute genius. So he was also very close with, uh, with the Rebbe. And <coughs> there is a very, a very captivating story that happened once on one of his visits to New York. So the story goes that he was visiting New York and he had a meeting with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I'm not sure which decade it was, maybe the 70s, maybe the 80s. He had a meeting. And uh, in the course of the meeting, the rabbi asked Rabbi Steinsaltz about his wife. He said, how's your wife doing? Um, and he said, my wife is good. Baruch Hashem, thank God she's good. Um, but she wasn't able to make it to New York. They lived in Israel. I don't know if I clarified that before. They, they were from Israel. They lived in Israel. And so he says, my wife is good, but she wasn't able to make the trip. So I'm traveling alone. Or he says, so I'm alone. The Rebbe smiles and looked at, looks at him and says, you're never alone. You're not alone, right? One is never alone. You are, um, God is always with us, right? One is never alone. God is always with us. So that's just a little bit of an anecdote and a story. If you really see God everywhere, then you really don't feel alone. And all this is born of this meditation, what we might call the divine consciousness meditation, which brings us to act number two. Act number two by design. So let's take this hit bone and note meditation even further, right? We've elevated it a notch. Let's go up a second notch. And let's, uh, let's add on. So not only does the divine power, does the divine, sorry, not only does the divine energy power all reality, not only does it fill all reality, all reality which is what we added tonight, but even more so, God's divine energy guides all reality in a highly intentional way. So not only does it fill all of reality, it guides it, as we would say in Hebrew, with intentionality, precisely, with intentional and, and, and uh, conscious guidance. In other words, God consciously guides the flow and investment of his energy into the universe, which means, and this is what, what, what this means, that everything that happens, and we touched on this right at the end of text seven, everything that happens, and I mean everything, is intentionally guided by God. It's consciously and intentionally guided by God every single thing that happens. This is a highly radical idea, and I'll tell you why it's radical. Because we live in a world, or at least in a society, in which the belief is, and I say the belief, not everyone, but the general belief, more or less, the belief is that everything that we see, everything around us, is all happenstance. It's all completely happenstance. That the very being of existence is the product of some cosmic randomness of epic proportions, and Jewish spiritual wisdom teaches us that all is intentional and all is guided. Reminds me of the story. 
little girl, little girl comes to her mom and says, you know, where do human beings come from? The mom says that, uh, she says, where do we come from? The mom says, God, God created us. She says, interesting, because dad told me something else. She's like, what did dad say? Dad said, we come from the apes. Mother smiles and says, it's not a contradiction. Dad, your dad, your father was speaking about his side of the family. I'm speaking about our side of the family. Anyway, so here's, uh, here's the point. The point is that in a world that attributes existence to randomness, essentially randomness and accident, Jewish spiritual teaching says that everything is not only powered by God, not only does God fill everything, but God intentionally guides, intentionally and consciously guides all of existence. Here's how King David expresses this text number nine. Take a look. One second. One second. Take a look at this. Text number, not eight, text number nine. Psalm 147. I'm going to read this. He covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes mountains to sprout grass. I'm assuming in Kentucky bluegrass. He gives an animal its food and, and as well to the hungry young ravens. And it, he gives an animal its food and as well to the hungry young ravens that call out. Apparently, the mama ravens don't do a great job of feeding the baby ravens. So it says, King David says, God takes care of the little ravens to make sure that they're good. I guess if God is taking care of the ravens, God must not be a Steelers fan. But that's another conversation for another time. And I'm sure some of you saw that coming up. I'm sure some of you somewhere saw that happening. Okay. Now, what's the point? King David says, King David says that everything that happens, the clouds, the rain, the food, everything is guided intentionally by God. There's, there's a, there's a chachma, there's a wisdom that's guiding everything. The way the wind blows, the fact that the wind detached a leaf from the tree, the fact that the wind that detached the leaf sends the leaf now hurtling through the, through the, through the way, through the air, flipping back and forth. The fact that the leaf that's now, that's now falling lands in a precise place and position on the ground, on the earth, or on the grass, whatever it is, all of that, all of that, every single detail is by highly specific divine design. It's all divinely designed. This is next level stuff. This is, as we continue the meditation journey, the hit bone and note, we started thinking about the fact that there's a soul, there's a battery pack. It can't exist without a battery. It's got to be a battery pack. That was level one. That was last week. Then we said, not just a battery pack, fills every, all pervasive, everything is being powered by this force. Now we're taking a step further, not just powered, guided, there's a difference, not just animated, intentionally animated, that's a game changer. Every single detail is by divine design. Yeah, just take away the question mark. Every single detail is by divine design. That's a mind-blowing concept. That's absolutely mind-blowing. By the way, we get glimmers of this truth. Once in a while, we can see it. I mean, it's always true, but once in a while we get to see it because we've all had incidents in our lives, moments in which, you know, things happen. And as we go through them, we don't understand them. They don't make sense. And it's like, there's no way this makes sense. There's no way this is a thing. And yet, often, sometimes, I'm not going to say often, sometimes 
sometimes, at least sometimes. When the dust settles, we can look back. We can realize how, yeah, all the pieces fit together. They were all intentionally guided. All of them were part of this journey. All of them were necessary, were needed to get me where, to get me where I am. We call this in Hebrew terminology, DP. Nah, that's not what we call it in Hebrew, but it's, right, DP, divine providence. Divine providence. This is hashkacha pratis, divine providence. What that means is the belief, not just belief like I have faith and trust, but it means the awareness, more than belief, the awareness that everything is being intentionally and consciously guided by God. Nothing is accidental. Everything is being guided. Everything is following a very precise script. God is continuously weaving together a master plan. It's been said that when you look at a weaving, weaving, you look at something that's been woven. You sound better to me. You look at it on the one side, it looks great. The other side, a bunch of knots and frayed edges, or maybe not frayed edges, but it looks a little bit fast and loose over there. It's like, what is that? Can't tell. We look at reality from the other side. God looks at it from the design side. We look at it from the other side. Doesn't always make sense to us. But is there a design? There's a design. Is there a purpose? Is there a meaning? There's a purpose and a meaning. This is where the meditation continues. The meditation expands now, right? This is the next level, right? We, 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 we've come to understand, we've come to feel that God is flowing through everything. Now we're going to feel in this level, level two of today's class, level two is not just God fills everything or flows through everything, but God is intentionally guiding and designing and filling and flowing through everything. It's all by design. The more we heighten our awareness of this, the more we sense the divine providence, the more we can see the divine orchestration. Pay attention to the patterns and you'll find the patterns. It's the way it works. Look for the connections, you'll find the connections. It's the way it is. So knowing this, but more than knowing intellectually or believing, even sensing this, feeling this, is one of the most life-changing experiences that, that, that any of us could have. See, we spend, and I'll tell you why this is so important, so radical. We spend so much of our lives fighting the reality that is right in front of us. Think about it. We're frustrated. Why are we frustrated? We're, what gives rise to frustration? You know what frustration is? Here's my definition. When reality doesn't line up with your expectations, you're frustrated. Frustrated. What, what does frustration mean? Your reality does not line up with your expectations. What about jealousy? Jealousy. We're jealous of others because they have what we should have. Should. Yeah. Guilt. Guilt is I'm, I feel guilty about the past that it wasn't the way it should have been. Again, should. Anxious. Anxiety. We're anxious about the future because we're not sure that it's going to work out the way we want. What about anger? Anger. We're angry about things that happened that should not have happened. Insecurity, right? Insecure. We're insecure about maybe our lives or things not going the way in which we, ex we, in which we expect. And on and on and on. And all these, I'm just going to say it, toxic emotions. Toxic. We might be, there might be validation. When I say validation, we might be um, forgiven for feeling all these things. And to feel these things is only human. Sure. But you don't need me to give you an excuse. You give yourself, and we all give ourselves excuses. I'm just saying, if we're being honest, these are toxic emotions. Yeah, frustration, toxic. Jealousy, toxic. Guilt, toxic. 
Anxiety, toxic. Anger, toxic. Insecurity, toxic. Yeah. And who wants that? Who says, you know, I want to feel um, angry today? Sugar, crazy. No one, I can't say no one wants to, but it's not a healthy emotion. It's not a healthy way to be, right? That's uh, it's crazy. And yet, all of these things, we feel all these things. Why do we feel these things? Where does it come from? Simple. It comes from not accepting. It comes from a lack of acceptance. We're jealous because we think that we should have and they shouldn't have. Who told you that? Who told you that? You had a plan. You had a plan. You're angry that it didn't work out the way. You had a plan. Frustrated about, you had a plan. What if, here's a crazy thought. What if God runs the show? What if God has a plan? And what if, call me cray cray, what if what's happening, like the reality, is actually God's plan? You know what that would mean? That would mean that I don't need to spend time, I don't need to waste my time feeling all the feelings, right? Because if this is, then this is the plan. We had a speaker once, Shimona Tsakarnik, unbelievable speech. She highlighted, she um, keynoted one of our uh, dinners. I don't know, six, seven years ago. One of the ones that we did at Callenwald. Some of you may have been there. It's one of those very rare talks that did not get recorded. I don't remember why or how. Did not get recorded. It was an epic talk. She shared a very personal story, which I'm not going to share now. But then she said that she learned in the process of the end, very, very, very traumatic incident that she, that she went through. She shared the following, that she came to learn that there are two things, one thing called pain and one thing called suffering. Pain is objective. Suffering is subjective. Pain is what happened. Sub, uh, uh, suffering is what we made happen to ourselves. What do I mean? What did she mean? Pain is what actually happened. It's painful. It hurts. But pain we can deal with, at least eventually. But suffering is worse. Suffering is what we put onto that pain. It's the layer on top of that. What's the suffering? The suffering is not being able to let go of what we expected to have, what we think we should have had. And we don't let ourselves get over it. It's holding on to essentially a false reality, driving ourselves crazy. So yeah, life didn't turn out the way we would have liked it to be. And that's painful. But you know what's even worse? It's holding on to that notion and not letting it go. That keeps the pain, that keeps the suffering going because you're still holding on to that reality that simply isn't. And I'm not trying to oversimplify because there's no, there's no simple, there's no simple solution here. But one of the benefits, and I'm going to use that term benefits, one of the benefits of this hit bone and note meditation that we've been developing over the last two classes, one of the benefits, like if we're really feeling it, not if we did the readings, but if we really did the work and feel the feelings and really feel that God is here, that God is powering everything, that God is orchestrating every event, nothing happens outside of God. Yeah. One, one of the Benefits of that is that this too is God, is this too is God's plan. 
And you know what? If this too is God's plan, then maybe it allows me to let go of my plan a little bit quicker. So yeah, I would have loved for things to work out another way. But you know what? This is God's plan. Not that thing that I had in my head. Who's steering the ship? Yeah? You or God? That's the question. Who's, who's, drive, who's driving the car? Yeah? So we think. We're like the kid in the back seat that our parents got us a little steering wheel. And we're like, I'm driving the car. Yeah? Sometimes I take my kids to the, you know, when we go to the grocery store. Some grocery stores have this. They have like the, the kid cart. You know what I'm talking about. The kid, like not the regular shopping cart. It's the one, yeah, oh, it's got the steering wheels. The kids sit high up. Either they sit at the floor level or they sit higher up. They got a steering wheel. And I, say, I do the same game. I'm like, I'm like a one-trick pony here. I got, I got my, my go-to game. Maybe all parents do this. I don't know. And what is the game? I tell the kids, all right, you know, we go straight. It's like, all right, turn the wheel or else we're going to crash into, you know, aisle four. And that's where all the wine is. We don't want to do that. Right. Okay. So anyways, Reva, I got to turn that wheel. So she turns the wheel. Whoa, I overcorrect. And it's the whole game. And you know what? She's not steering, but we're having fun. So this is not a, it's not a, but she's not steering. One of the greatest harms that we do ourselves, and I'm just being very honest here and raw is that we tell ourselves that we're steering. If only we talk, if only I would have done this, you want to take that much credit? You want to take that? You want to take that much credit for yourself? You think you're steering the ship? That that you you could have stopped it. I, if only I would have. You want to take that much? Is God real or not real? Is this real or not real? I mean, it's. I hate to make it you know all or nothing. It's not a you know charity online fundraising campaign. I don't want to make it like one of these. You know, it's either yes or no to binary. But at the at the end of the day, who's running the ship? Who's steering the ship? Who's driving the car? Is it us or is it God? Part of this divine consciousness meditation is God is driving this thing. God is God is steering. God's doing the steering. If God's doing this of everything, if God's doing the steering, then I can let it go. I can let it go. It doesn't mean that it's not, doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It can still hurt. But you know what? I don't have to stew in the hurt. I don't have to like add hurt on top of hurt. I don't have to make it hurt worse by not being able to, to see past it. So this is a major idea. And I want to share a text. This is a beautiful text that bespeaks this idea. All right, let's let's jump into text number 10. This is a letter that the Rebbe writes to somebody from the 25th of Avell, 1975, about, I don't know who this was, who the letter was to, obviously, but you'll see in the letter itself, this person was struggling with doubts and insecurity, and here's what the Rebbe writes. With reference to your writing about doubts and difficulty and about a feeling of insecurity in general, I trust it is unnecessary to elaborate to you at length that such feelings arise when a person thinks that he is alone and can only rely upon himself and his own judgment and therefore feels doubtful and insecure about each move he has to make. Can I just jump in for a second? If you're putting the weight of the world on your shoulders, yeah, you might have a sore back. Yes. If it's all up to you, you're not going to be able to sleep at night. Yes, correct. That's what the Rebbe is saying. 
You're putting too much on yourself. And while he also trusts in God, this trust is somehow superficial without permeating him in his way of life in every detail. And only on certain days, such as the high holy, high holy days, he feels more close to God. This is what causes the insecurity, the doubts, the difficulty, the challenge. But when a person's faith in God is deep, and when he reflects that God's benevolent providence, that's that DP that I mentioned before, extends to each and every person and to each and every detail and to each and every minute, surely he must develop a profound sense of security and confidence. The concept of, of divine providence is better understood. In, uh, you know, so I'm going to stop here because the Rebbe goes to explain the Hebrew term, which we don't have time. We, we have a few minutes left, so we don't have time to get into this level of detail. But here's the, you can read it, you have the book, but here's the point. The point is that another benefit, because we're talking about benefits, another benefit of this meditation, if God is really running this, then I can put down my steering wheel and I don't have to worry about everything. I can just take life on some level as it happens. And I, I'm, I can accept it when it does happen. It's God's will. Doesn't mean I don't push. It doesn't mean I don't try. It doesn't mean I don't realize my, uh, my potential. Sure, all that. But at the end of the day, I don't feel the need to force things into being or to control them. Because control means I'm in control and I don't. And I know that I am not in control. Let's hold the question if you don't. Let's hold. Let's, let's wait till, uh, till, we're, till we're done. Let's go now to act number three. Act three, this is our final act. This takes us to the final stage. The final, this is now the, the top. The top, this is the, uh, you got the good view now. Got the ocean view. We're now at the top of the high rise, level three. Level three, act three is you matter. Because so far we've understood the divine force that powers all of existence in the following ways. Number one, Last week, it's the battery pack of existence. Number two, it fills and individuates all of existence. Number three, it consciously guides all things and all happenings. That's what we just said. But we're not done yet. There's still one more level of understanding. And here it is. The fact that God orchestrates, like we just said, the fact that God orchestrates all beings and all occurrences down to the, to the most minute detail is because, and this is the, the, big, the big reveal right now, it's because all of it, down to the smallest detail, touches on the very purpose of existence. I'll say that again. The reason why, sorry, or the fact that God orchestrates every single thing and every single occurrence is because everything and every occurrence touches on the very purpose of existence. In other words, put in other terms, everything is part of the master plan. Everything is part of the big picture. Here's how the previous Rebbe describes this. I'm going to read to you one more text. Text number 11. And this is going to be the final text that we read inside. And it's, hopefully it's all going to come together. All right, here we go. It's a little bit long, but I think we can do this. The Baal Shem Tov taught that divine providence does not only mean that God orchestrates the individual movement of each of the manifold cre created entities, and that the same providence is actually determining the existence and life of that entity. No, it also means that the particular movement of a single entity bears a direct impact on the overall purpose of creation. And the truth is, we have what we need from this text. That last line, it means that the particular movement of a single entity bears a direct impact on the overall purpose of creation, which means something that is absolutely absurd and mind-blowing and game-changing and life-shifting, and that is that the way the grass 
blows in the wind. It's not just divinely orchestrated, but it speaks somehow. Don't ask me how. I'm not God. But somehow speaks to the entire purpose of why everything exists. Everything that happens, even the most insignificant, seemingly insignificant movement of one blade of grass in the middle of nowhere, a.k.a. Yohopitzville, plays into the cosmic drama of the purpose of the universe. There's a higher vision, a purpose known to God and only to God, and everything is guided toward the fulfillment of that purpose, every single detail, every minute detail of existence. It's kind of like a picture. You look at a picture, and you know when you look at a digital picture, you know what you're looking at, right? Especially on a screen, you know what you're looking at? Pixels. You know what pixels are? Little dots or little squares. And if you zoom in on an image really close, you can start seeing the pixels. And you realize that's not a face. It's a bunch of little squares that in combination, when you zoom out a little bit, looks like a face. But you zoom in, it's a pixel. My friends, we look at the pixels and we're like, what's this? We don't need this pixel. Let's throw it out. This pixel is insignificant. It's a little tiny box. Who needs this? It's a little blade of grass. Eh, means nothing. Insignificant. What could this possibly mean? Zoom out every pixel is part of this incredible picture, the divine picture. Are you with me on this analogy? Yeah, makes sense. Every pixel is epically significant. Every pixel is a part of the master plan. You just got to zoom out and see the whole picture. This, once again, is absolutely life-changing. First and foremost, it changes the way we perceive ourselves. Instead of looking at ourselves, sometimes, hopefully not, but sometimes we may look at ourselves as insignificant, accidental, whatever. Do I really need to be here? You know, like, I didn't choose to be here. How did I get? Instead of looking at our, at our lives like something perhaps a little, little uh, less than meaningful, we suddenly realize that we are highly significant. And I know I said we, we did the final text, but you know what? I correct myself. There's one more text, text 12, that I want to do. Rabbi Tzadok of Lublin, the great Hasidic master, says, just as we are enjoined, that means obligated. I think it also means something opposite in English, but whatever. Just as we are obligated to believe in God, so must we believe in ourselves. In other words, we must believe that God has provided us with a mission in life, and our lives are not meaningless. But rather, our souls come from God, the source of life, and God is delighted and satisfied when we execute his will. You know, the Rebbe once said, paraphrasing, birth is God saying, you matter. I need you on the team. You're here, you matter. You're a pixel, more than a pixel. Many a pixel, you matter. The picture doesn't look the same without you. This is something that you need to believe. You need to know. It's a natural byproduct of this meditation. You meditate on God. You meditate on the battery pack. You meditate on God filling the universe. You meditate on God um, filling every detail and orchestrating every detail. Then you meditate on the fact that every detail is significant and you realize I'm one of the details. That makes me highly significant. That means that I matter, that I'm important. That's tremendous. That's not ego. That's not even self-esteem. It's God-esteem. It's recognizing that God believes in you. It's recognizing that you have a place. You have the ultimate place. You have a role. God chose you on his team. That's, you don't need anything else to feel good in life about. That's the best. Everyone loves validation. Everyone loves validation. We're talking about the ultimate validation. The ultimate validation. You matter, and who's saying that? Not somebody on Twitter, not someone who clicked like 
didn't take a lot of effort to clean. God Almighty says, "You, may, I need you. This can't get done without you. Every pixel is important. Every pixel is important. There's one more piece. One more, one more upshot. One more implication of all this. If every single detail matters, there are no accidents. There are no mistakes. Even when you find yourself in a moment where you're like, how did I even get here? Yeah, you took a flight and they redirected you and now you're in Denver. Why am I in Denver? How did I get to Denver? What am I doing in Denver? You end up uh, delayed somewhere. Why am I here? You think to yourself, what's the point? It's a mistake. No mistakes in God's world. We learned that in the previous section. But now we know that this moment is an essential piece of the divine plan, which means that now I need to find out why I'm here. It's not just that God is also here, but God sent me here for a reason. Every pixel is significant. Every pixel is a part of the piece. If I find myself in a moment, in a time, in a space with people, without people, in a context with an opportunity, I must capitalize on it. There was once a group of women, Chabad women, who had a conference in Detroit. This goes back decades. An Ashe conference. Women, Chabad Women's Conference. And as everyone was headed to the airports to return home on a Sunday afternoon after, uh, after a very inspiring Shabbat, it began to snow. And boy, did it snow. All the planes were canceled. And the organizers, you know, the women wanted to get home and there were mothers and wives and uh, wanted to get home. No, you can't get home. Don't have a flight, you can't get home. So they called uh, headquarters, HQ in Brooklyn. They called the Rebbe's office. And they said, you know, the women are stuck in Detroit. The Rebbe's response, they're not stuck. Stuck? Stuck? Who said stuck? You're in Detroit by divine providence, by divine orchestration. There's something in this place, in this moment, with you. You, in this place, in this time, in this moment, there's something that you need to do. There's no other explanation. When you have this view of the world, it's absolutely game-changing. It is breathtaking. You see the world with a vision and a clarity. Setbacks don't get you down. Opportunities are everywhere. Life is rich with meaning. You are wearing the 3D glasses, and your music is everywhere. This is divine meditation. This is Jewish meditation. This is Chabad meditation. Amazing. What a beautiful class. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for the thank you. Over the last week and a little bit, this week and the the end of last week's class, we developed this meditation. This is but one of many Chabad meditations, Jewish meditations, mystical meditations. But this one, this one is one for the ages. This meditation allows us to realize that God is real, that God is here, that God is everywhere that God is making this happen, making this specific thing happen. And if this is happening, it's of the ultimate significance. My life is meaningful. My life is purposeful. I don't get down on the stuff that happened. I recognize that it's exactly designed for a purpose. My friends, we had three ideas today. And I want to go through them very quickly. And then we're going to end off with the the guided meditation from Rabbi Wolf. Number one. Divine energy is all around us. Everything is filled and shaped by the divine energy. All existence is therefore an expression of God. When you meditate on this, if God is here, it can help lift us out of a state of loneliness and despair. 
and depression, replacing it with joy and serenity. That was one. Number two, divine energy intentionally guides all of existence. Nothing is random. Nothing is accidental. Everything that exists, everything that happens is by divine design. Meditating on this can lift us out of anger and frustration and jealousy and other negative emotions that come from believing that things are not the way they should be. We get upset. They're not the way they should be. Really? I'm pretty sure God thinks it should be like this because he actually is making it like this right now, right? Instead, if everything is planned and intentional, then we embrace what is and let go of simply what isn't. By the way, it's the most true thing we could say also. In addition to being the most uplifting, it's also the most honest thing we could say. The truth, the truth is, this is the reality, not the thing, not the fantasy that we would want. This is it. So it's even the most honest thing, let alone it's the most, you know, the most spiritual thing we could say. And the final point, number three, is every detail of existence is part of the master plan. Not only is everything intentional, it's highly significant. It's of the utmost significance. Without it, nothing else would be as it needs to be, which allows us not to simply tolerate what is, but accept it with love and excitement. Meditating on this allows us to unlock the purpose in all scenarios, in all situations, even those that we naturally don't understand and even try to reject. And all of this is born of what we call spiritual consciousness meditation. So my friends, this week, here's the homework. Take time to contemplate the divine energy that flows through us and throughout all of existence. The divine energy that is all pervasive and all intentional and all purposeful. Tune in to the Divine Symphony, and then enjoy the music. All right. Thank you very much for joining me. We are going to conclude the class with a meditation, after which we will take questions and discussion. I see some questions came up in the chat. I know some of you have questions. Hold on. Give me a few minutes. We're going to do that. Before we show the guided meditation, let me tell you about next week's class. Let me just quickly uh, um, tease it, and then we're going to jump in. So next week is called Mind Your Time. It's called Mind Your Time. Life is so busy, and we often feel like scattered and distracted. We're pulled in a thousand different directions. Next week, we are going to learn a meditation that will snap ourselves into the present moment, that will bring us into the present, uh, focusing our minds and awareness in the moment that is in front of us. Be present. Be mindful. Join me next week. You don't want to miss this. All right. Check the website, by the way, for new and exciting events that are upcoming. We added some stuff today to the website. Check it out, intownjewishacademy.org. Once again, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to all of you for being here. And without further ado, I am going to load up the meditation. Give me a second. Live your purpose. Okay. Here we Life isn't random. There is a subtle cause and effect relationship that operates in your life. And that cause and effect relationship 
relates to a master plan that the master planner ingrained within your soul and within the world. Our task is to recognize the turnings in life and be able to choose freely those that correspond to the master plan. Gently close your eyes. Just become aware of the silence in the room. Become aware of the emptiness of the space and that you as a ball of small energy occupies a place in that space. Become aware of your life. Go back to the beginning, early childhood. Observe the facets that seem to be recalled quickly about your childhood. Then your teenagehood. What incidents come quickly to mind? And adulthood. The transition within and between are catalysts. Catalysts that project you into the next, the next phase of your life. The catalysts aren't arbitrary. Hashem places these catalysts into your life to keep nudging you towards a destiny, your personal destiny. Be aware that life is not random, but your capacity to reach your destiny quickly, clearly, painlessly, is part of your free choice how you respond to the catalysts of life. Hashem imbues your life with purpose, but the way that you choose allows that purpose to be expressed optimally or less optimally. There's meaning to your life. The way you choose leaves footprints in the sands of time and in the world itself. Practice mindfully how to exercise choice so that your purpose overlaps with Hashem's destiny for you. 
and that way you achieve fulfillment, life's meaning in a way that is painless, optimized and in keeping with the intent of your reincarnation, why you, your soul, your innate plan plays a significant role in the world. You are special. God has embedded specialness, individuality in your life. Live your purpose. All right. So once again, thank you very much for uh, for joining, and I hope you enjoyed the meditation. Um, I'll still hang hang around for a little bit uh, for those that wish to schmooze for a moment. Mom, hey. Oh wait, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um. Thank you. It was a great class. I have two questions. One is, what about the concept of taking alum, and how do we handle complacency? Like okay, can't so, sit back and let things go extinct. That's just 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 a tiny little example. Right, right, right. Of course. Okay. So we can yeah. look at that as the opportunity. In other words, if we see that there's something that stands to be a wrong happening in the universe, right? If we see something that's not good, and we recognize the problem, then we should should see that as divine providence for us being aware of the problem and having the resources to to, to address it. That we should step up and do it. So that would be, I, I, the question is, so if God is making it, if, if God is orchestrating it, then maybe it's a problem, then maybe we should let it be. But really what it, the, 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 the real the understanding of this is that God is allowing me to, uh, to recognize the problem so that I should fix it. It's like the story in the Talmud <coughs> about a parable about the king who gave two people the same gift. He gave them um, a bundle of wheat and a bundle of flax. Okay, he gave two people. So one guy um, took the wheat and ground it into flour and made loaves of bread, and then took the took the flax and wove it into linen, made linen, however you do that, and then uh, made a cloth. Um, and the other guy just kept, you know, like a souvenir. He kept the 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 the, the wheat and the and, and the flax. Well, the king comes like around like the rabbit dollars. Right. So the king comes around a little bit later and um, and the king goes to the first guy and he says, so what would you do with what I gave you? He says, oh, here's um, here's uh, here's the bread. He serves in the bread covered by the cloth. It's beautiful. It's a whole presentation and it tastes good. Also, not the cloth, but the bread. Amazing. And then you have the second guy. He comes to the guy and he says, uh, so what would you do? He says, no, I have the I have the wheat. I have the flax. So, yeah, so. The opportunity is for us to do something about it. But there is also an element if we did what we did and we got what we got at that point, that's where acceptance comes in. We have to have we have to be able to have the the, the discernment to recognize when, you know, like, uh, like the song, know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away. You got to know when to run. You got to sitting at the table. 
Anyway, listen, we could, we could do this class as a musical also, but it would be a little slower. Um, okay, good, 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 good. Questions, comments? Rabbi, yeah. I think your mom touched on this, and, and I have a question along the same line. How does all of this play into uh, the idea of free will? It seems like divine providence is, uh, is set. And yes. If you turn left, you were meant to turn left. If you turn right, you're meant to, But if you want to turn left and you're meant to turn right, and your free will butts up against uh, divine providence, how does that fit in? Yeah. So the question about divine knowledge is one question. If God knows what I'm going to do, then do I really have free choice? That's, that's an easier question to address. The question of divine providence and free will is a really tough question. Yeah. 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 I don't have an answer. It's a very tough question. They, but the, the short answer is they're both true um, and we did, to, to be continued, to be developed. Yeah, we, had a class, we did a class. Um, it was called a course called the. Um, it was called. Um, what was it called? Now, if I don't remember the course, you think I'm going to be able to present the answer and like on one foot. So that, <laughs> yeah, that, you are. Well, that should be the first indication that that's probably not going to happen. I have confidence uh, in you. Well, <laughs> uh, thank you. You are my mom. So yes. I mean, that would make sense. The course was called What Is? Oh, how ironic. What is the name of the course? That What Is was the name of the course. <laughs> what is the name of the course? That's anyway, one of those classes was on the, the notion of, of free will and divine providence. It's a very complicated topic. So I, uh, one day we'll, we'll repeat it or we'll, you know, check out the recording and let me know, let me know what you think. It's a very difficult question. Thank Not you. an easy question. Uh, class. Thank you. Jules, jump in. Yeah. Uh, at the very end, when we were doing the meditation, Rabbi Wolf said something about um, reincarnation. Yeah. So um, I know that that's a Buddhist thought. Is that also, you know, a Jewish thought or a Chabad yes. thought? They got or- it from us. No, kidding. No, but it is definitely a Jewish thought. A lot of Kabbalah speaks about um, reincarnation. There's a lot of talk <laughs> about reincarnation. It's a little bit different than the Eastern understanding of meditation, wherein the soul just inhabit the same soul inhabits multiple bodies. In Judaism, it's not exactly the same soul as much as it is um, an offshoot from that soul, which carries still some of the same inspiration. The, the easiest way to, 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 to imagine it is the difference between let's say a ball inside a box. So there's a ball in a box. So you take out the ball, put it into another box, take out the ball put it into the, versus lighting a candle. You take a candle and you light another candle, another candle. So you have multiple incarnations or reincarnations that are being inspired by, let's say an original root soul, but it's not necessarily that the soul doesn't have any rest until that's done. The soul has some rest, but some of the role is continued. Anyway, that's a very short um, treatment of it. But it's, uh, the short answer is it's a Jewish concept. It's a little bit different understood in Judaism, but it, reincarnation is a Jewish concept. And we I think had a class saying, with you. One yeah, time. yeah, 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 we did that. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, one, of the under, one of the ways to, I think, what, I think the context of what he was saying was along the lines of if this is where I am in this incarnation, reincarnation, and this is, my, this is what's in front of me, so how do I actualize my, my purpose and my opportunity? Um, hold on one second. Catherine, jump in. Did you have a question? Um, yeah, well, it's a, it's a thank you. Um, no. I, I'm, I'm going to have to really meditate um, on the hard parts of this. Uh, but the thing that you helped me with the most was when you said um, 
that perhaps um, I'm looking at the tapestry from the back end and it's a mess. And it's yeah. like, yeah. that is an ugly thing I'm seeing. So if I turn, so if I go around the other side and pull way far out, I can see the beauty of it. So that is what I'm going to be meditating on. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you also for, for reminding me of the word tapestry because I clearly could not come up with that in the middle of the class. I think I call it a weaving which is not an actual now. Oh. Okay, yeah, but thank you. That is Adina Malka. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's also a power, just a, 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 a very specific and powerful takeaway. Yes. Adina. Oh, do we have access to uh, the Ra uh, Rabbi Wolf's um, guided meditation? I mean, do we have to listen to the whole class to get to that? No. Rabbi Wolf, There's can we a, pull him out somewhere? We can pull him out. He's already pulled out. We got him. We got him isolated. We have them right where we want them. There is a website. There's a course <laughs> website. MyJLI.com. I'm going to put it in the chat right now. MyJLI.com slash meditation. I actually include that link in, the, in my lesson recap emails. Um, it's a link that you go there and it has lesson one, two, three, four, five, six. Click on lesson three or whichever lesson you want. And it has the videos right there. So you could just click on boom and watch the videos on demand. One second, let me show this to you. Actually, let me send this to everybody. It is right. So we can, do I understand correctly? We can just access Rabbi Wolf's meditations. You don't have to listen to the, the whole course. On the, right, on demand. I mean, I... Uh, could, could you put yes. it back up? Yeah. Yes myjli.com slash meditation so it's my m-y-j-l-i i think i spelled it right myjli.com slash meditation that's the website that's the course website you send um, an yeah. email you send an email right now oh. i did not send an i put in the chat you have to open up the chat on zoom there's a little oh. thing that says chat open it up boom there it's it is. better than email. I don't know how to do it. It's in the emails. It's in the weekly emails. Every okay. week in the recap emails, look toward the bottom. I think third paragraph from the bottom. That's where I usually put it. Thank it's got you. the link to the uh, to the course. Now I will you tell can you. Also get, yeah. Sorry. You can also get him on an app. I have him on an app that comes every other day and he gives you his meditations. Rabbi Wolf know. is everywhere. See, I mean, what? the Rabbi Wolf app. I mean, I didn't even know he has an app. That's amazing. No, no, That's because cool. you had him for a course once. And then yes. anyone who was interested said that they would be, they have to get in touch with him this way through the app. Beautiful. Beautiful. Nice. Good. So there's multiple opportunities. Rabbi Wolf is tremendous. He's like, he's awesome with guided meditation. He's amazing. We just had him a few weeks ago. So, um, yeah. He did All a right, great question. job in his class. I have to leave, but it was a great job. Thank you for being here and thank you for the kind words. Thank you, Final questions or comments? Maybe one more before we go. Well, back. Okay. Back, I'm still stuck on the reincarnation thing. <laughs> uh, you, are you there, Ari? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, switched uh, places. <laughs> so if, if a person, okay. So um, um, if a person, oh, I'm trying to remember what I, what I was trying to say. My, I was thinking about it before. But okay. If a person is stuck in pain and suffering, you know, I, I know the Buddhist thought better than I know the Jewish thought, okay? So I have to apologize with that. But, you know, in Buddhism, you know, like, um, when they talk about reincarnation, your, your, your current life's work is to repair things that happened in prior lives. 
Right. You know, so, but so is when, if a person is stuck in pain and suffering that they, they can't let go of that is, is, you know, how is that conceptualized in, Ju- in Judaism? Are they just not doing the work or are they, or is this all for them to, you know, basically clean up the past and, and move to, to a new level in the next life? It's a great, it's a great question. It's a great question. And it's a little bit of a longer conversation, but in short, the Jewish understanding is that everyone has a checklist. I'm, I'm way oversimplifying it. Torah, mitzvot, we got a checklist and we do as much as we can, as much as we're able to. Not everyone can do everything because just of technical realities and, you know, on, on many different levels, spiritual, pragmatic realities, et cetera. We do as much as we can, whatever is left over from our mission, from the total mission, we then graft, if you will, or generate a reincarnated soul. So whatever was accomplished, that part of the soul has rest, a new soul or new part of the soul is generated to then continue the mission and hopefully it gets it done. When somebody is experiencing challenge or difficulty, I, I can't, I'm not, I don't think I feel comfortable to say, well, this is why it's happening. But one way to perhaps think about it is, that that situation or that context is where is perhaps where that purpose lies in that in, in that incarnation of being. Maybe there's something in that in that experience that is an opportunity that needs to be that needs to be excavated from that space. But I, I don't I mean, that's I'm just kind of offering that up very quickly. But I feel uncomfortable saying on any level of, uh, you know, with any level of certainty that that explains why that is. There are many stories of mystics and Kabbalists that deal with exactly what we're talking about, but we, we, we should, we should have a schmooze and I'm happy to speak offline also, you know I mean? Like, you know, just uh, continue the conversation because it's a really good conversation. I think uh, it would be, it would be a enjoyable conversation either way. Um, Moshe, I saw you had a question. We'll end with, uh, with Moshe. Oh, hold on. You're muted. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I'm good. I, I've got a real fundamental problem and I don't think there's an answer, but, Okay. I've always, but the repeated statements here that God decides every little thing that's going to happen around us, that means that whatever I do is nishkafelov. Although maybe the idea is that while I think I'm doing something to help my child or I think I'm doing something for tikkun olam, all I'm really doing is affecting myself, which would make it utterly narcissistic. Uh, one, what's, what's, what's with this? Yeah, it's a, you're asking a good question. So can I use the notion of divine providence to excuse any behavior that I wish to do? And basically say, well, if I do it, then it will have been divine providence. That's utilizing it in the wrong direction. Divine providence means that whatever happens is by divine providence. I can't go into it and say, well, I'm going to make this happen. And then de facto... You know, look, now having done it in the past, right, now it becomes divine providence. That's wielding the tool in the wrong direction. I don't know if that's what your question was, but you did mention yeah. about, does that mean that everything I'm going to do is divine providence? That would still be using divine providence, which is looking at something that happened and using that to look at the future. So it's a little bit of, a, of, a, of, a, of looking at it in the, in, the, in, the, in the opposite direction. But it's an interesting point, but it is totally different. Excuse me. The thing is, if I feel, hey, there's something that needs to happen and I go and do it or I don't do it, if God is deciding everything's going to happen, it doesn't really matter whether I did it or not. Good. Part, oh, good. So 
if that's the question, um, then let's 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 think about it this way. It's an excellent question, and I don't know if I have answers. I have re- I can share ideas, and you know everyone has to think about it in their own way. So I don't want to come off as being like, here's the answer. Here's an idea to think about. It's a good. It's a great question. Number one, a few points. Number one, we don't control outcomes. We know this, having walked a few miles in life. We don't control outcomes. We control choices. We choose actions. What happens after that is out of our control. We sometimes make bad decisions that turn out good, good decisions that turn out bad, and indifferent decisions that turn out not so indifferent at all. We, there are lots of things that happen that go differently than the way we plan, which reminds us that we're not in control. There's a master plan. But your question is, well, if God's in control anyway, so then why do I need to do it? The answer, I hate saying answer, I hesitate to answer. One one way to think about this is to consider that part of God's plan is that we take a role in facilitating this, which means not that we're going to necessarily create outcomes, but that we're going to put in the effort to help facilitate it, and then it's going to happen. So that's one way to think about it, whether that satisfies the question I'll let you decide, but that's just a few ideas to think about. But these are what your questions are exactly everything, not everything, but it's discussed in Jewish philosophy and Chassidus and Kabbalah. These are the these are the tough questions. So there's a lot of conversation about it. These are some ideas. So again, we need further further conversation. All right, it I'm going to check what, out. It was, that a, was what I said about being complacent. You can't be right. complacent. Right, you no. can't say, "Well, God will take care of it." Right, exactly. No. God wants yeah. us. To take the, the 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 wheat and the flax and turn it into some bread and uh, some bread and, and 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 linen. What is Rabbi Labelwolf's app called? I actually don't know. I may I may do some research on that and let, and let everybody know next week or maybe an email. We'll see if we can find it. All right, I'm gonna check out. It's great to see you all, Lila Tov. Have a good night, everybody. Take Bye. care. Bye. We'll see you Thank soon. Thank you very much. Okay, Bye. Bye. Thank you.